Have you heard people say before to keep your elbows up when riding off-road and wondered why? Or maybe why your neck gets sore when you ride or possibly you injured your back just because you hit a deep pothole and you thought, how did that happen? Why does it happen to me? Well, today on our exclusive rider skills segment, we have Coach Ramey Stroud, and he's going to explain why and how to achieve the perfect body position for you on your bike. He's going to give you some techniques that should have you riding better, longer, and more relaxed than ever before. And for much of these exercises, you can do them sitting in your chair or anywhere for that matter while you're sitting at your computer at work. Today, helping bring out the best rider in you, rider skills. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. Maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you're going to want a compact and reliable tire inflation method, and the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio, made in the USA, and comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as their top pick in a compressor shakedown. Their website, www.cyclepump.com. Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Brian Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hitstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barnes. Michelle Lampier. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millward. Glenn Hoskins. Joe Rose. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Said Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Carol DeVell. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com <laughs> exclusive rider skills segment we have with us coach Ramey Stroud uh, you may remember we did a story a while back on coach Ramey he's a dedicated racer a lifelong motorcyclist and uh, at age 53 he won the best in the desert off-road racing championship among other podium finishes and he still is racing coach Ramey now trains racers to win as well as non-competitive riders to improve their skills and most of the training that he does he does from his 60 acre ranch in Oregon Ramey, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Hi, Jim. It's great to be back. What are we going to talk about today? 
Well, we're going to talk about using our bodies much more efficiently to be able to control the motorcycle. Uh, the goal will be to improve control performance uh, with less effort. And that's going to allow us to be able to do more things on the bike uh, and last longer in the sense of not getting tired so quick. And for adventure riders, I mean, it can make the difference of ending your day still feeling like you have loads of energy and you've had a great time or feeling like you're completely thrashed and ready to hit the bed. Absolutely. And and especially if you're on a multi-day trip. So you wake up the next morning and you're still tired and you know you've got four, five, six, seven days ahead of you or weeks ahead of you or months ahead of you. So the idea is that every time I get out of bed, I'm going to be smiling and looking forward to that day's ride. Most of us don't realize that motorcycles can be set up for you and should be set up for you. And those adjustments should be made with the mechanical parts of your bike. But today we're focusing on the human aspect of it. Yeah. And the other thing is not only the, your physiology, but um, how you ride the bike. So in other words, if you're a street rider and you're mostly in a seated riding position, that's going to be one set of ergonomics. Uh, if you're a dual sport rider where you're seated and standing, uh, going back and forth, that's a different set of ergonomics. Or if you're a hardcore off-roader where you're going to be standing up most of the time, then we set the bike up a little differently for that too. So how you ride is just as important as what your body looks like and how you use it. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but I can't help but ask you this question at this point because it comes up a lot when we talk about setting up your bike. If you are a dual sport rider and you ride a lot of dirt and you ride a lot of street, what do you set your bike up for? For street or for your dirt riding position? <laughs> Good question. Um, actually, there's two options. Um, if you're the kind of person who just wants to get on the bike and ride all day and never touch it, uh, then we try to split the baby that uh, it's the lever and handlebars and all the ergonomics are not going to be set up perfectly for seated or for standing, but somewhere in between. But uh, the reality is on a lot of bikes, it's not that tough to change things around. So uh, let's say you're going to take off for the weekend. You got all your gear on the back. You ride the highway to wherever you're going and get all your gear off, set up your camp, and then grab your toolkit, make a few little adjustments and then do your off-road stuff. And uh, they've got a bike that's not only going to fit your body, but we're also going to make a few little suspension changes so that the bike's going to handle better off-road. So uh, then when it's time to pick up the cab and go home, you change it all back and take off. So you've got two options. Okay, so we're starting at our foot pegs, and we're moving up. Why are we doing that? Well, the thing that is very, very, very common is that most people visualize their primary connection with the motorcycle as their shoulders and hands. They're hanging onto their bike. And so what we try to do is to get them to change that picture and start to visualize their primary connection with the motorcycle from the waist down. Uh, and as we get into it, you'll, you'll start to understand why that is. But the idea of building the different riding positions from the put pegs up is to emphasize that lower body connection. In road racing, uh, we flip that on its head and we start building the postures from the eyes down. But for off-road, dual sport, adventure riding, rally, that sort of thing, it's from the foot pegs up. 
where should your foot be to begin with on the peg, the balls of your feet and the arch? Um, what's the difference and why should we choose one over the other? Well, the the thing about your, your feet and your boots is that um, they're highly mobile on the foot peg. Uh, they're moving all over the place. In other words, if we need to shift gears or use the rear brake, we're moving the foot forward uh, so that the foot peg is normally just in front of the heel in the arch of the foot. And then that way you can push down or pull up. It's called dorsiflex or plantar flex. The problem is that in a motocross boot, uh, the foot's kind of locked into the boot. So in other words, to shift or to brake, uh, you really can't flex your toes up or down. So you end up moving your whole boot, which moves your knee forward, which brings your hip around. So there's a lot of, of movement in the lower body just to shift gears or to step on the brake. If you look at a lot of the new motocross boots or off-road boots, you start to see that there is a hinge point at the ankle. Because manufacturers have finally figured out that we need to be able to dorsiflex plantar flex to uh, be able to use the, the levers effectively and, more importantly, to engage some of the muscles between the ankle and the knee. But let me keep going on this foot peg placement. A lot of times um, you're not using your levers. So we bring the boot back onto the ball of the foot. And that way you can uh, raise and lower your heel but uh, below or above the foot peg. The reason that's important is because there's some really good muscles between your ankle and your knee. Um, and the back part of the leg is something called your gastrocnemius or gastrox. And then inside the gastrox are, uh, is a muscle called the soleus. And those are really two great shock absorbers. But if you can't move your toes up and down and your lower legs locked into the foot peg, you basically don't get to use those muscles. One other thing that's important is there's times where we rotate the foot on the foot peg. In other words, the toe will come into the case and the heel will go out. And um, when we get into turns, uh, we'll be talking about that a lot more. But um, the foot peg is your really critical base of operations. So you just need a stable peg that's just as big as you can uh, possibly get. And uh, the larger foot peg, of course, reduces the pounds per square inch pressure on the bottom of the of the boot. So boot selection and boot placement is uh, pretty critical. So the, the mechanics of the foot, you mentioned that, you know, we, by standing properly, by supporting our weight properly, we have the suspension in our ankle that we would otherwise omit. Um, if we don't have our, our foot in the proper position. But there are times when we move it around from one position to the other. Yes, constantly. Your foot is very mobile on the foot peg. Part of static training is to know where your boot is and what it's doing without looking down. And you watch riders out on the training range, they're constantly looking down at their feet to see where their boots are. Now, part of that is because your foot is encapsulated in this big, heavy hunk of leather but the reality is that um, there's something called proprioception. That's knowing where your body is in space. And that's part of training. So you need to know exactly what your boot's doing, where your foot is, without looking down. And that's part of the training. So moving up, where do we go for the next step? Well, if you look at a lot of the race bikes, you see that just above the foot pegs are the engine cases. And those engine cases are scuffed and polished. 
And the reason they are is because the racers will be uh, squeezing into the engine with the insides of their boots at the ankle. Uh, a lot of times there's uh, what we call squeeze plates that are put on the frame to create a flat surface for the lower leg to be able to kind of squeeze into the, the bike, clamp onto it. And I, I notice with a lot of the adventure bikes that uh, there's not really a lot of contact between the boot and the bike. There's daylight in there. And if there was contact, a lot of times the surfaces are not very smooth. There's frame members or master cylinders for the rear brake or something's going on. So one of the things we do to set up is to see what we can do to make the bike more user-friendly for that lower leg contact. Another thing I'd point out is that when you look at a real good pair of off-road boots, you notice that the inside of the boot uh, has rough-out leather on it. And uh, the reason for that is manufacturers know that the inside of the boot is part of the squeeze or connection to the motorcycle, and that rough-out leather gives you good contact without slipping. So this idea of lower body connection, we start thinking about that from the boots and the inner leg. Kind of ironic, isn't it, that an adventure bike doesn't have contact plates sort of built into it. You think it would be a, a big part of the the manufacturing process because we look at these bikes as sort of performance bikes, you know, these bikes that will do, that perform on the street and perform off-road. And yet it seems like that's kind of a vital thing when, since we, we use our legs so much for bracing. You'd think so. But I guess, uh, you know, when you start looking at bikes, uh, we kind of – give them a percentage value of on-road, off-road. You know, like some bikes are 80-20. They're 80% road bikes and 20% off-road. Some are 50-50 and so on. When you get to the bikes that are more off-road than on, then you start to see some of these lower leg connections become a little more user-friendly. But if you've got a bike that you want to take off-road, it's up to you to figure out how am I going to make this thing more user-friendly for me and how can I get better leg contact, lower leg contact between my motorcycle and myself. Before we go on, though, what sort of things, what sort of solutions have you found for bikes that don't have contact points where they should have on our lower leg? What can you change? Well, there are some aftermarket parts that you can put on some bikes. Uh, sometimes you have to adapt them where maybe there's a, a rough surface under the leg with a frame or engine bits or uh, air box, something like that, uh, where you can put some squeeze plates on there and then attach them in different points. So after our, our lower leg, as we move up, we're looking at our knees? Yes, sir. Now, depending on who you are training with, you're going to hear a lot of different opinions about uh, where the knees need to be. But most of the time, you need to think about my knee touching my bike. Now, when I'm seated, my knee's going to be in a different place than when I'm standing. And so as you go from a seated to standing position or standing to seated, your knee is going to drag forward and back as well as up and down. Where it drags across the bike, uh, sometimes we'll make special pads that go in front of the seat and then either Velcro to the tank or glue to the tank. But we'll make that slide area for the knee up and down to be smooth and easy to use. Okay. So from the knee, we're moving up. I assume it's going to be our hips that we're looking at next. Well, yeah. Um, 
the hips are a pretty complicated structure. So if we're in a, a seated riding position, uh, a lot of times you'll see slouching. And uh, so the pelvis, which is another way of describing the hips, um, will be rotated forward or backwards. And a lot of times the pelvis is, is rotated backwards, so the, they're sitting on the glutissimus muscles, glutes, uh, and they don't really feel the seat very much through that muscle mass. So a lot of times uh, we'll have to teach them how to rotate their hip forward up onto the, what are called the ischial tuberosities, the ITs, which are the seat bones in the bottom of the pelvis. Even just a minute ago, you're mentioning about the boots and about how, you know, often we don't think of the connection between everything. If you're, if you have a stiff boot on and you have to tilt your leg to get underneath that shifter lever, then you've moved your knee forward, which is moving your hip forward, which is now twisting you in the seat and transferring weight on the motorcycle. Yep. And all of these things cause the bike to do something. Uh, most of the time, if let's say we're on the left side, on the gear shift side, and you've got to turn your toe out and bend your knee and move your hip, uh, that means that you're shifting a lot of weight to the left side of the body. So as you shift in gears, you are cranking in a little turn to the left and you've got to compensate through the handlebars. Uh, these are all the things that go along with body mechanics. How can I operate the controls of the motorcycle and still be able to go straight or continue the turn if that's what I'm trying to do. These are small things that most of us don't think about, but the reality is that we can fix them pretty easily and make riding the motorcycle so much more easy. Um, Energy expenditure is a big part of body mechanics. You know, especially if you think about some of us are getting older and um, we don't want to work quite as hard. So if I can make the, the ride easier that if you can put in eight hours on the bike and still get off smiling uh, through body mechanics and, and some training, then all of a sudden I've extended your riding life. You're not going to quit until you're, somebody drags you off the bike. And that's what we're talking about today, making it easier for you to ride your bike. You also mentioned in there a little bit about the seat, and uh, I, I know that you've talked before about the different seats and how, well, I mean, let's face it, if you see a dirt bike, it's got a, 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 a narrow, flat seat so you can move around. And then a lot of our other bikes, adventure bikes, that are made for more touring than straight dirt have seats that will sort of want to hold you in a position. Yeah, we call those the tractor seat. It goes right back to what are you doing with your bike? What kind of riding uh, do you do? And you build a seat for the bike and, of course, for your body, but also, you know, how you're going to use it. So if you're the kind of person who gets on a bike and loads up all the gear and you're on the highway going straight for most of the time, then those tractor seats are great. On the other hand, if you're the kind of person who gets off-road and you're going to be going through the forest or around the the tumbleweeds and you've got to get in and out of the rocks and over ruts, that seat kind of locks you into a position, that, in a seated position, that you're going to have a hard time dealing with. So it may be there that the seat forces you to stand up more than you would otherwise. It's a, a variable that you need to think about and make some decisions before you get the seat changed. One other thing that's uh, really important, and, and you mentioned the off-road seats, is most of the time on street bikes, we're more concerned about going left and right off to the side of the bike. 
But with, when we do off-road, we really need to think about left and right and forward and back. When we get into body positions, we're going to be talking about moving back on a motorcycle. So if you're down in one of those tractor seats or there's a big lip between the front seat and the passenger seat, you're not going to be able to get back into a braking position as easily as, as um, another seat might be uh, allow you to do. So how you ride is a, an important part of picking a seat. So the hip angle that we happen to sit at, or, or, or at least working ourselves to get our hips straight, that's going to control how our, our weight sits on the bike, I guess, through our butts. Moving up from there, we're talking about the curve of our back. Yeah, that's another part of posture. And remember, I was talking about some folks uh, tend to slouch. And part of that is that sometimes our core muscles in our abdominal area uh, don't get a lot of exercise. And so they tend to become a little bit weak. And um, one of the things that we try to do is to remind folks where muscles are and how to maintain just a little bit of tension to keep your core strong and your back flat. For example, uh, as you're sitting there in the chair, uh, visualize somebody grabbing you by the hair on the top of your head and lifting you straight up. And you get, you get a little bit tall. Well, muscles only pull. They don't push. And there's no muscles above you, so there's nothing pulling you up there. How did you get taller? And the answer is, is that the way you got taller was when you visualize somebody lifting you up by your hair, you recruited two muscles in your core called the iliopsoas, and they rotated your pelvis forward. And your spinal cord was pushed up from the bottom uh, because it's on top of your pelvis. Now, those two muscles are absolutely critical to anybody that rides a motorcycle, seated or standing. Those two muscles, the psoas muscles, are the only muscles in your body that attach in three places. And when you recruit them through little tricks like somebody pulling your hair up, uh, straight up, then you're making those muscles shorter, it's pulling your pelvis forward, and it's giving you some core stability that we try to maintain at all times on the bike. Now, I'm not asking everybody to become extreme athletes, these are just some pretty basic connections between the rider and their body that if you can make the connection, then all of a sudden your riding is going to get a lot easier and your control function has become, will become much more effective. Because if you can maintain that core stability, then all of a sudden you can lean forward, left, right. You can move your hands on levers without having to hang on to the bars. There's just so much you can do with that core stability. The other thing is that when you recruit those two muscles, if your back is rounded or hollowed, it tends to get a little flatter. And then you're able to absorb energy, the hits, bump energy, a little more effectively before it gets to your head and your brain. Well, we're going to be right back with more in just a minute from Coach Ramey and a lot more, including... What I think is really important is where you're supposed to have your elbows and why you have them there. That's coming up, so stay with us. But first, I want to give a shout out to a couple of sponsors that have made this episode possible. One is Overland Expo. Overland Expo West is a huge event. It's gearing up 
Arizona, May 18 to 20th. Now, I got to tell you, they put out a newsletter, which you should really sign up for because it's, they've got all kinds of neat stuff in their newsletter. But get this, their Overland Experience Pass, 90% sold out. This is the latest newsletter. I think I got it. Or actually, this is this 28th of February. 90% sold out for vehicles. Weekend Pass, 50% sold out. You got to buy your pass online for this event. And I would really highly recommend you get going on this and, and buy your pass. An event not to be missed. Um, you're talking all kinds of things going on. 190 classes, 480 session hours of programming, 170 presenters, um, 100 staff and volunteers. Very, very large event. Um, they, also, they, they also, once a year, they hold a, one in the East. So you'll hear about that one later on. That's later in the year. But for now, you need to get to Arizona. This show is all about overlanding for all vehicles, but for motorcyclists in particular, there's a lot to see. There's a vendor set up. Um, there's uh, riding instructors. There's presentations from travelers. There's just so much going on. If you're into traveling at all by motorcycle or by vehicle, for that matter, check out Overland Expo. Drop by their website, www.overlandexpo.com. Of course, that link is in our show notes, and you'll definitely want to Get on that website and book your pass for the weekend. You can't get them at the gate. You've got to book them in advance. And as I told you already, it's, it, a lot of it is selling out very, very quickly. And the other one that I want to mention, of course, is IMS because IMS makes foot pegs for your bike. And if you want a set of pegs that's going to give you the control that Coach Ramey talks about, listen to what he just said already on this episode about the importance of that contact with your foot on the foot peg. You want a larger than stock foot peg. Basically, what Coach Ramey said was as large as you can get and you're comfortable with. Um, there's limitations there, of course, but um, good quality peg. And, and something you can rely on. IMS pegs made in the USA, made of 17.4 cast certified stainless steel. These are top quality pegs. When you open up the box, you're going to know it the moment you see and feel these things. Um, they're almost like works of art. I ride with them now. They are fantastic. Drop by their website, www.imsproducts.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with anybody, you drop them by Overland Expo or, or even any, any sponsor at all that we mentioned on the show, do us a favor, drop our name, tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. about having our back straight basically and being able to absorb energy and it, it sort of makes you think that if you were slightly rounded forward that you'd be able to absorb more energy before it's transferred in up your spine into your head i think that one of the things that happens is that uh, we forget that our spines have a bunch of curves in them anyway and that when we say a straight back it implies the natural curves of the spine but when you see somebody who's slouched over forward, that the back is curved, uh, there's not a lot of stability in that structure. And so that when uh, they take a hit, they, they tend to compress even more. And at that point, uh, a lot of us don't have a lot of range of motion in our spinal vertebrae. And then all of a sudden it hurts or we end up losing range of motion which prevents us from being able to use our controls effectively. But a flat back really gives you a lot more stability and ability to absorb bump energy. And I guess as we go further along here and talk about our hands, I guess also if you're leaned forward or crouched forward, you're putting weight on your hands, which is what we don't want. 
Oh, we're going to get to that. Right. <laughs> big, big time. <laughs> Absolutely big time. Okay. So if you were to put your hands out in front uh, of your body and, and put them on some imaginary handlebars and just hold them there, how long could you hold your hands up in space? In other words, um, the handlebar grips are used to hold our arms up because sometimes uh, we end up getting tired too fast. One of the reasons that we get tired holding our hands up is because we're using the front part of the shoulder, uh, the deltoids and the pectoral muscles, and the muscles around the shoulder uh, called the rotator cuff. And all those muscles are, are strong, but they're not really designed to hold the hands up in front of the body. So one of the tricks that we use is, uh, so you sit up straight and uh, don't sit back on the chair, just sit like you're sitting on a bike and then pinch your shoulder blades together behind just a little bit and notice that your shoulders come back. And the reason for that is there's some really big muscles in your back and those big muscles can hold your arms up all day long. Uh, using sort of a cantilever design. But um, the reality is most of us don't engage those muscles for our arms. We're using the front muscles and we're using the handlebar grips to hold our hands up. So if you will put your arms up and just bend your shoulder blades together a little bit, you'll feel the pressure go from in front of the arm, just under the armpit, to the back of the arm, just under the armpit. And as you retract by pinching your shoulder blades together, you can move that pressure. Now, the, the problem is once you engage the broad muscles of the back, your hands come back away from the handlebars. And now you can't reach the grips. And this is what screws everybody up. They say, well, that's really good, uh, but now I can't reach the bar, so I got to reach out forward and and uh, round my shoulders again. By the way, the, the rounded shoulders in front, we call it a closed chest. When your shoulders are back and you're using the broad muscles of your back, we call that an open chest. Anyway, back to reaching the handlebars. So instead of rounding your chest and closing it to reach the bars, just sit up tall, bring your shoulders back. Now fold forward a little bit towards your bars. And then your hands are resting on the grips very lightly, and you've got very, very precise finger contact for control function, clutch, throttle, brake, and steering. When you say fold forward, how do you mean that? Well, fold is kind of a weird word, isn't it? In other words, I, I could say very easily lean, but the reality is that you've been training to fold all your life. Every single time you get up out of a chair, what do you got to do before you go vertical? Fold forward. Anyway, we just use the, the fold just to keep reminding you of this picture of going forward to the bars. But you notice that when you do get out of a chair, you're not pulling yourself up out of the chair with handlebars. But yet, when you see most riders go from a seated to a standing position, just look at all the arm strength they're using to pull themselves up. So 
when you get out of a chair, you fold forward, bring your mass over your new base from your butt to your feet, and then you go vertical. And that's exactly what we do on the bike when we go from a seated to a standing position. We also use that same exact fold with an open chest to be able to come forward to the bars. And it gives us more of an athletic position on the bike so that we're able to engage ourselves more athletically. It's, uh, when you get it, it's a really good feeling. So when we're sitting in that position, what we do is first we, we got our hips vertical. We got our, our spine basically flat, well, theoretically, you know, flat. Yep. Um, yep. And now we're pulling our shoulders back to create an open chest. Yep. But now we're leaning or folding forward. Um, yes. So in essence, then our, our spine or our flat back is now slightly toward the front of the bike. Well, you can be tall and flat and fold. In other words, as you fold forward, just continue to be tall. Just continue to think somebody's lifting me up by the hair on my top of my head. Now, some of you bald guys, you're going to have to really visualize this. But but you can do it. The, so you're sitting tall, and as you fold forward, you stay tall. You, and the way you do that is you keep those iliopsoas muscles in your core engaged. Now, once you learn where those two muscles are and you learn to keep a little light tension there, then you're going to become much more efficient on your bike. So what you're talking about is tilting the hips forward. Uh, yes, you're folding at the hips uh, with a flat back above them coming forward to the bars. Okay. And, and the reality is you're not going that far. When you open your chest, what your hands came back, what, four inches, maybe six so uh, you're still basically in a nice seated position. You're just a, a little bit more forward uh, from the waist up. So we've worked our way up with a flat back, and now we've talked about our shoulders. So let's talk about from the shoulders to our fingertips. And I use a phrase called plane of control. And if you uh, think about plane in the sense of a flat surface – I want a flat line from your shoulder to your elbow, to your wrist, to your fingers. And a lot of people are not used to raising their elbows on the bike, that your arms uh, basically hang down. You've got your shoulders up above, you got your hands resting on the grips, and your arms just kind of hang there. Uh, if you're just going down the highway straight and and it's – uh, just a very relaxed position, uh, and you're not doing much, there's absolutely no problem with just, you know, relax and let your arms hang down, just like you, you normally do. But if you're in an off-road situation where you need to up your control on your motorcycle and be hey, much more reactive, then you've got to get into a more athletic stance. The other thing is that we can control the bike uh, much more efficiently with our elbows up, and, and we're going to explain why here in a minute. So if we think about this range of options, I can sit relaxed with my elbows hanging down, but if I get into a situation where I need to be more aggressive, I need to get my elbows up on the plane of control as fast as I possibly can. And that's the picture in your mind, and now we're going to go to why. Okay, so well, let's use uh, an example. I think most everybody's probably either been to a motocross course or seen pictures of it where they have this section called the whoops. 
And uh, a lot of times they're, they're rollers where the bike is going up and down and up and down and up and down. And the really fast guys, they're not doing that. They're skimming across the top. Well, let's assume you're on an adventure bike and you're not going to skim. You're just going to roll up and down and up and down. Well, if you look at some of the videos from, let's say, GS Giants or the BMW MOA or some of these rallies, you'll see that the arm length between the rider and the handlebars never changes as they go through the rollers. So then if the bike pitches up on a roller, the rider's thrown back. And then the bike comes up over the top of the roller and goes down, and the rider is pulled forward. In other words, they're not using their elbows at all to push the bike down for the downhill and to pull the bike up for the uphill. They're not pumping their arms, and that's causing their upper body to get thrown all over the place. Whereas if they'll either sit or stand in a neutral position and they'll pump their arms, then all of a sudden the bike is rotating under them at the foot pegs and their head is on a straight line smooth all through the rollers. The idea is that our arms often need to be very, very mobile on the bike in an off-road environment. And the way that happens is where we get our elbows up on the plane of control where they can move around easily. When the elbows are down at your side, they're kind of locked in and your range of motion is reduced dramatically. So get them up there where you can move them around and use the broad muscles of your back to help hold them up. Okay, so we've been to the shoulder. Now we're at the elbow. Let's go to the wrist. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go away uh, from planning control for a minute, but I'll come back, I promise. If you think about how most people turn the throttle on, you see them roll their hand down, especially if they're going to full throttle, and there is this big giant bend between their hand and their forearm. Sometimes it's almost like 90 degrees. You whack it wide open. Well, that creates a, a problem in that there are two major nerves that go through the wrist, through the carpal tunnel, and when you bend your wrist that hard, you pinch those nerves. Even if you don't go full throttle while you're going down the highway or you're going off-road, if you allow that wrist to bend, you're going to be pinching those nerves to some degree or another. And the way it manifests itself is a lot of times your hands will start tingling, you know, like they're going to go to sleep or they do go to sleep. And then you kind of, you know, take a break and you shake it off and you go back to do it. Well, let's say you're on a long trip and you're going to be on the bike for days. Pretty soon you can't shake it off anymore and you wake up at night and your wrist hurts and your hand hurts. Um, you got to change your hand position on the throttle to not pinch your nerves. And planet control will allow you to do that. And here's how. Now I'm back to planet control. So when I reach out to the handlebars by folding forward, if I just set my hands down on top of the grips lightly, they're generally pointed, my fingers are pointed straight ahead. But if I raise my elbows, you'll notice that the fingers start to change and point now to my headlight. Because when you raise your elbows, they're swinging outward, which is all of a sudden making your lower arm angled back in towards the bike. 
you got it, like this big V from your shoulder to your elbow to your fingers. Now, when your fingers are pointed towards your headlight and you look down at the grip, there is a V between the web of the thumb and the pointer finger. And you want that V on the grip. And then if you'll keep one or two fingers out over your levers and reach down under the grip and put your thumb on your third finger, you now have a really nice hand position on the grip on both sides. Anything we do on the right, we do it on the left. And now we're going to twist the throttle differently than most people do. And we're going to do it like a screwdriver. So now with your hand in that position on the grip, if you'll just stick your thumb out and raise and lower your thumb, you're now rotating your hand around your wrist. Now, if you're not on a bike, another way you can do it is just reach out and, and put your arm out in front of you and point at something. And while you're pointing, now raise your thumb. And now just raise and lower your thumb and let your wrist rotate. And just like you're doing a screwdriver. And all of a sudden, you can get full throttle, from idle to full throttle, with no bend in your wrist whatsoever. But it requires you to keep your elbow up a little higher. Now, eventually, when you really get good at this hand position and this throttle control, then you don't need to raise your elbow quite as high unless you want to. But the elbow up is the way you're going to learn it. This is really takes a lot of the mystery out of everything we've heard so far about keeping your elbows up. This completely changes the way that you work the throttle and also, in my mind, changes the way you control the bike because now you're not hanging on to that throttle anymore. It just seems to me that you're, you're just in so much more control. Oh, absolutely. I, I know you go to YouTube and you look at some of the crash videos put in uh, for search term whiskey throttle. And you'll see people that are be standing up on the pegs and, and they'll hit a bump or something and get thrown back. And because they're hanging on to the grip so hard, as they're thrown back, they roll the throttle on and they aggravate the situation. It gets worse. The bike now squirts out from under them and they're going off the back. And so you see, no, it's not about the bike. It's about your hand on the grip and how you're, you're connected to the bike. Uh, that wild throttle problem is serious. And so if you can never, ever experience it, that's a good thing. And if, if all it takes is changing your hand position on the grip, then let's get it done. One of the other things I've noticed, if you see people get on the throttle very hard, they tend to lean down and to the right, to the throttle side, as they're giving yes. the throttle. That's to get that added twisting the grip, to get it to the absolute farthest you can go. You slightly lean that way and turn down. Absolutely. And it, it shifts weight to the right side of the bike. And because of the shape of the tires, that then turns the bike to the right, uh, even though they're all they're trying to do is whack on the throttle. They're cranking in a turn at the same time. So when you start looking at crash dynamics and you slow it down, you can see how a lot of the body mechanics has created the problem. And if they would just make a few little changes, then they'd stay upright and keep smiling. And we're going to post a few of the pictures in our show notes that you've given us uh, showing this position, which the V, I think, is is easier to understand probably if you look at the photograph of it, um, if you haven't got it just from listening to it, from uh, the way we've explained it. Remember that symmetry on the bike is everything. And so even though the throttle's on the right side, and we're really talking about right-hand 
uh, position. Please mimic what you're doing on the right, on the left. Try to keep everything symmetrical. Keep it balanced, left and right. And uh, it, it's not that hard once you get it. It actually turns out to be very comfortable. Um, the other thing that goes along with that hand position in the fingers is where your levers adjusted. And most of the time, uh, you know, people don't really think about what joints in the fingers the levers are, are being used. You, you want the lever between the first and second joint of the fingers so that when you are pulling them in, the lever is fully functional before it comes back to the fingers that are still around the grips. And that's part of the adjustment. Now, for plane of control in a seated position, the levers are going to be a little higher than if you're in a standing position with the plane of control going down to the bars a little bit. That's what we were talking about earlier is making some lever adjustments. If you don't want to do lever adjustments uh, on trips, then you split the baby and you find uh, the lever adjustment halfway between seated and standing. So it's not perfect for either one, but it's a compromise. Okay, so we've started our feet, we've moved up our legs, we've talked about our hips, our back, our shoulders, our arms, our hands. I think now that's what's left is our head. Well, head and neck are really important. I mean, a lot of times at the end of the day, your neck muscles are sore. Uh, and depending where they're sore, we can tell a little bit of something about how you're riding. But um, uh, one of the things that, that we need to think about is that there are basically three systems in the human body uh, that help maintain balance. You know, one of them is called vestibular, uh, and that's uh, your inner ear. The other is proprioception, uh, knowing where your body is in space and, and being able to feel pressures. Uh, the other is visual. And so uh, when you look out over the horizon, you know how we tell you to keep your head and eyes up, uh, you know, if you're starting to fall, then you start to see a sight pattern that's not parallel to the horizon, and it gives you a visual tip. Um, one of the things that we're interested in, in in the helmet is how does the helmet affect your sight pattern, uh, both foveal vision, which is straight ahead, and peripheral vision off to the sides. Uh, what are you doing for eye protection? Are you wearing uh, glasses, do you have a face shield, are you wearing goggles, and, and how do they affect your vision? The other thing is, where are you holding your head with the weight of your helmet on in the slipstream um, relative to your cervical vertebrae? Now, a lot of times people will lean their head forward and kind of curve their upper spine and then tilt their head back up so they can see where they're going. And then they hold that position with the, the muscles in their neck, which uh, ultimately get overworked, especially if you're in rough terrain. So what we want to do is try to find a little more neutral position that maintains your sight pattern uh, in a way that's uh, most effective for you and your helmet. And the way we do that is we want to bring the head back relative to the spine. Now, over the years, I've tried different ways of creating a picture to visualize this. And it's like uh, I started out with a turtle, you know, kind of visualize the turtle pulling its head back into its shell. And then um, 
I tried to, well, give yourself a double chin. And that worked great, except in the ladies' classes. And finally, I figured out, <laughs> I finally figured out that uh, one of the easiest way to do is we'll take a tennis ball and we'll put it under your chin. And you can simulate it by just making a fist with your right hand and putting it under your chin and holding it there. But can you feel how your head comes back and becomes much more centered over your spine? Now, it takes a little getting used to because most of the time we're used to hanging our head forward and down. And that goes along with just our everyday posture. But once you get this idea of the ball under your chin, then all of a sudden, if you really close your eyes and you feel it, you can feel pressure and tension coming off some of your neck muscles. It's easier to keep your head in that position, especially with the weight of your helmet. Then when you get into uh, some high-speed situations where you've got uh, parasitic drag, uh, you've got the wind flow in your face, uh, you're much more efficient in using your muscles to counteract that, that wind force. Now, all of these things together make your ride easier so that you can be better longer. But you've got to take the time to build this foot pigs up posture just one little thing at a time. The, the beauty of it is, though, we're all riding and there are times where we're not doing much. Maybe we're just going down the highway. Well, what a beautiful time just to do a little assessment. I mean, you're not doing anything else. So foot pegs up, work your way up. Or sometimes if you're off road, maybe there's, you know, a, a nice flat stretch of dirt, uh, dirt road or gravel road where you're not in the rough and you're not doing whoops while you're on the gravel road. Do an assessment. Just constantly remind yourself. And then if you are tired uh, because you're using a new posture or whatever, just go back to your old way and relax a little bit, but then come back to it as you can. And you'll find that as you get stronger and stronger, you don't need to come back to it as often. And pretty soon it becomes your new riding posture and it just becomes normal for you. So you build your training program from the foot pegs up into your everyday riding situations. And that's pretty much how we do it. Well, Remy, thank you very much. And next time we talk, we're going to be talking about looking for traction. So I look forward to that. Yeah, that one's going to be fun. Uh, it'll kind of take body mechanics into uh, actually what we're doing by moving around on the bike and how that's going to affect our ability to accelerate to break and to be able to turn and do hills and all the kind of stuff that just drives us crazy because it's so much fun. Speaking with Coach Ramey Stroud from his training facility in Oregon. You can find out more about the coach and what he does by visiting his website, www.widecoach.com. And of course, as always, that link will be in our show notes.
I just want to remind you that this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin and of course to you the listener. Thank you for listening. Remember you can drop by the website and look at all the shows we've done here. We've got uh, transcripts starting January of this year of each of the shows we do. So something like this that's technical. You can go to the transcripts you could read through it if you wanted to, to get the instruction a little slower. Um, also we have our raw show that comes out once a month. It's available at the website. The website is www.adventureriderradio.com Now if you like what we're doing you want to help out. The show is built on a model of uh, some advertising and listener support to make the whole thing work. So if you'd like to drop by the website and click on the support button you'll see there's a bunch of different uh, things that we do there anything ten dollars or more will get you a sticker sent back at you our way of saying thank you anything fifty dollars or more will get you a mention on a raw show that we do once a month and we also list all the people that support the uh, the show on the website so there's a, a page there that lists them so you can drop by and check that out also we have patreon set up as well for those who would like to contribute monthly and we would love that that's great because we can actually count on that anyway now it's time to get out there and ride your bike my name is jim martin this is adventure rider radio Thanks for listening. See you next week. Hi, I'm Carl Parker from Edie Moto Magazine, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 